Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, everyone. My name is Carrie, and I am one of the teachers here at Hope Church. And I'm going to start this story with telling you the first time that I realized that Barney the dinosaur was not cool anymore. I was in first grade, and I distinctly remember, you know, um, this, this day for, for whatever reason, and, you know, my, I was very sheltered at this age. So it's not like I was like this Barney fan club member and had him plastered all over my walls on posters or anything. I wasn't weird. I was just like, I didn't have a whole lot of options. My mom said I couldn't watch Transformers, couldn't watch the Smurfs. You know, she's apologized for that since. But um, so Barney, okay, I had, to, I had to watch Barney. So I watched Barney. And I remember going to school that day though. And I remember, I think it was like on the bus that kids were talking about Barney. They were joking. Somebody was laughing about it. And I remember this because it happened to be show and tell day. And it happened to be my turn to do show and tell. And the thing that I had brought for show and tell that day happened to be this little pouch that my grandma had given me. And it had like a comb in it and this little like whatever set of things. And it had this little picture of Barney on the front of the pouch. And to my credit, I did stand up there and I did my show and tell as usual. But I had that moment of... Somehow I missed the memo, this is not okay. It is not okay to like Barney anymore. Somewhere between kindergarten and first grade, everyone else got the memo but me. So that's, that's a sort of funny story, but I think maybe if we, if we look at our lives, we can all think about moments in our lives where we realized, oh, this, this is not okay. People do not think this is okay. Um, maybe it is our... Our family. Maybe we grew up in a family where we felt like, ooh, okay, if I express anger or like sadness, that's not okay. That's I can't I can't show that. Maybe it was in, in our in our friend circles. Oh, if I wear this thing, if I say this thing, okay, I'm not I'm not accepted. It's not okay to be that or to say that. Um, maybe even unfortunately in the church, we've picked up this message that you know there's a line. Oh, I can be this. I can I can be honest about this, but mm, this I can't I can't say that. I can't do that. I can't. Be honest about that because it's not okay. And really what happens is we, we end up um, believing yet another lie of the enemy. And the lie is that I'm not loved and accepted as I am. And I want to go back. Last week, Tom talked about the origin of lies. And he talked about the enemy of our, of our soul, the father of lies, who is Satan. And how that is where all lies and all deceit originate from him. And he took us back to the creation story of Adam and Eve. And kind of this first lie we see that Eve believes and that Adam and Eve both act on. And I want to go back to that story for just a minute uh, because it's really interesting to look at the immediate before and after effect of what happens when they act on this lie. Uh, So if we look at the end of Genesis 2, the Bible talks about how God created Adam and and how God created Eve from Adam um, and how God brought them together in relationship with one another. And I I think it's interesting that at the end of chapter 2, verse 25 says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. 
You may be thinking, where on earth is she going with this? But what happens right after, right after this verse we see in chapter three, I think is very interesting. Genesis three, seven through 10 says, this is after they've been deceived, after they've eaten the fruit and they've, they've acted on that lie of the enemy. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And it's almost like, okay, so it's like they're suddenly aware of something that they weren't aware of before. Now God, God knew they were naked, right? He made them that way. That was, God in fact made creation and he said it was good. So God had affirmed the goodness in them, but they were suddenly aware of this fact about themselves, right? And it's almost like that dream that I think most of us have had, if we're honest, where we show up somewhere and we have no clothes on, right? And it's like, I don't know how I ended up at work and did not realize that I left something very important behind. Um, but it's almost like that moment for, for Adam and Eve. They're like, what in the world? Like, we don't have clothes on. And they suddenly feel ashamed. They suddenly feel like something about them is not okay and they have to hide it. They have to conceal it from God. They were afraid. And so listening to this lie, it immediately brings out shame and it brings about this need to, to hide and this feeling of being afraid of the very God that they've been in relationship with and that has loved them since the beginning. I think it's that sense they were feeling that something about me is not okay and I can't show that. And it's this concept of shame. Maybe you've heard of this woman, Brene Brown. She is a shame researcher, which is a very interesting job to have. Um, but she's got a lot of great, great things out there. And one of her quotes, she defines shame. She says, shame is the intensely painful feeling of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love or belonging. I am bad. I am a mess. The focus is on self not behavior, with the result that we feel alone. Shame is never known to lead us towards positive change. I love the end of that quote, and we'll, we'll kind of come back to that idea in a second. Shame never leads us towards positive change. And it's the sense, really, that, that um, this feeling that we need to isolate, that we are alone, and therefore we need to continue to be alone because we're not okay to go out and be with God or be with other people. This lie that I am not accepted or loved as I am. So I want us to be honest here, maybe for a moment, and um, whether you're online and you kind of want to think about this and write this down for yourself, or if you're here, I want us to think for a minute about things that we believe it's not okay to be, or that it's not okay to be too much of. Okay, it doesn't even have to be necessarily a sin. It could be, but it could also just be normal, normal human emotions. I'm going to start us off. I'm going to say for myself, I don't believe it's okay to be needy. That's a lie I believe. Anything else? Emotional. You can just shout them out. Lazy. What the, mm, what the world thinks. Selfish. My handwriting is not great. Can write that up here. Angry. 
silly. These are all great. Anxious. Oh, that's a really good one. Materialistic. <laughs> Maybe we're done here. <laughs> This is a really good list. Um, I, think, I think if we look, if we could probably sit here for a lot longer, right, and come up with a lot more things that we think it's not okay, it's not okay to be this. Um, I, you guys hit a lot that even that I, I asked this on Facebook earlier this week and I got other things like being too clingy, making mistakes, too sensitive, too loud, too quiet, too vulnerable, too opinionated, right? And I think what's interesting about this list, first of all, is... Um, that not even, all the, not all of these are even like right or wrong issues. A lot of these things are actually very normal human emotions. And I think we forget sometimes, in fact, that God actually designed us to be needy. He designed us to need others and to, to work in relationship with others. He designed us by personality. We might be, we might be silly. We might be um, more, you know, some people, I mean, we say lazy, but some people are just less concerned with, with productivity and other people are more type A. That sometimes that's part of our personality and it's just part of who we are. And we often have this, this, weird, this weird thing about us that says, oh, I'm not okay. I need to be more like someone else. I need to be less like this. I need to be more like that. Um, and it creates the sense of shame. And as I went through this list, when actually online, most of the people that gave me answers were women. And I found that to be interesting. Um, and I think part of the reason, honestly, is that we pick up on the cues of what's okay and not okay, often by the, the culture that's around us. And unfortunately, a lot of times the culture is not, as, as Kyle said, is not rooted in what God says about us. Um, and so I think for women especially, sometimes there's this sense that, um, that, that feminine emotions or feminine characteristics are not acceptable. Like, I can't be too emotional. I can't be too sensitive. Uh, but then for women, unfortunately, they, have, they find they have this dichotomy of, I can't be too feminine, but then I also am not expected to be too manly. So if I suddenly have like an opinionated expression or if I'm too bossy or too whatever, that that's not okay either. So women kind of fall in a lot of that, that sense of what is it okay for me to be? Um, but I, I did find that as, as much as maybe this affects women in certain ways, um, Brene Brown and her research has shown that really men struggle with shame as well. We struggling in different ways perhaps and, and maybe covering that in different ways, but we really all at some level deal with this. And for men, unfortunately, I think they find that sometimes um, for women even, women are like, we want men to be vulnerable. We want men to be honest about their, their struggles or their weakness. But then when men... Uh, express a weakness or they express a vulnerable moment, a lot of times they say women are like, whoa, sorry, nope, that's not okay. Never mind. You can't. I need you to go back to being macho. Um, so again, we kind of, don't we do this though? We kind of like put people in these boxes. Like, you have to be this. You can't be this. And we absorb that and we begin to act out of that. And what happens when we act in shame, um, I think it's really interesting um, that really shame as Tom talked about last week, Tom said that um, when we are listening to the father of lies, that's when we, uh, we, we act in lies, right? We, we perpetuate lies. And when we are believing that in, living in shame, our response is to hide. And I think that what's interesting is that hiding is actually a form of deceit, 
right? Hiding or, or covering part of ourself is saying, I don't believe that the, my, my honest, authentic self is okay, so I'm gonna cover it up. I'm not gonna let you see the real me. And in, in a lot of ways, that actually is a form of denying the truth or covering up what we don't want people to see. And I really believe that there are, there are three things when we hide. It doesn't just hurt us. Um, as, as, as Tom talked about last week, so often the lies of the enemy are lies that are going to drive a wedge between us and God and make us feel like we can't come to God, that we cannot approach his throne of grace with freedom and confidence. And so anytime we're believing a lie, it's affecting our relationship with God, but it's also affecting our relationship with others. And I think the enemy is, is like, his greatest plan is if I can cut you off from other people, if I can make you feel like you have to isolate then I cut you off from the truth and I cut you off from the people and the God that could help you to heal if you were honest. And so there's three things I see that we kind of hide when we listen to the lies of the enemy. And those are, we, we hide our authentic self from God and others. We hide our authentic self and that's what I wanna talk about with shame. We also, we also hide ownership of our lives, which I believe comes out in blame, which we'll talk about more so we have this shame, we have this blame, and we also hide the gifts and the talents that God has given us, and really, that is lame. Shame, blame, and lame. Um, and I know that's funny, like, it's okay, it is lame. But it also, I believe, does cripple us as a body of believers because when we are not acting in the gifts and the authority and the confidence that God has given us, then the body is crippled, and the body of Christ is not flourishing as it is made to. So there is a very a powerful result whenever we're acting on the lies of the enemy. So let's look at these three things that we tend to hide. We already discussed shame a little bit, right, with, with kind of this list here. Um, it's, it's this lie that, that keeps us from healthy relationship that says we're not enough. And it might come out, again, as my, my primary lie today is that I'm not loved or accepted as I am. You may hear it in different ways, right? We may say something like, um, oh, and by the way, some of these lies were, were actually um, ideas that some of you in, this, uh, in the church gave. And so I want to thank you to everyone who gave feedback to the lies that you believe are being, um, that we're experiencing as a church and in our culture. So some of these are from people here in this room. This lie that says, I'm a freak and I'm all alone. If I'm myself, I'll be rejected. I can't, I can't be accepted by God if I'm still struggling with sin. Well, I need to learn more about God and, and become a better person and, and then he'll love me. I must hide parts of myself in order to connect with people. Or, or maybe, and this is a, a subtle but very dangerous lie, we, we start to believe, well, I'm accepted now because I'm doing okay, right? I'm, I'm checking off my moral boxes. I'm checking off everything else. But what happens if I lose this job, if I, if I start struggling again with that sin, with, if, I, if I, I'm honest about my, myself about my, my honest, authentic self, then I'm gonna lose my acceptance. These are the lies that we start to believe. And in, in many ways, um, I'm not the first one to say this, but long before COVID, long before we've been wearing these masks, many of us have been wearing masks over ourselves, covering parts of ourselves that we just don't think are okay to present. Um, and I don't, I don't know if this has happened for you. There's a few people that I've met during COVID. And so like, they, I only know them with a mask on, right? And you start to kind of like imagine what someone's gonna be like. You sort of just fill in, oh, I, I think maybe their face looks like this. And then suddenly like you see them one day without a mask and you're like, oh, I, what? That's not, that is not what I pictured at all. Like, um, and I think, again, I've had this happen in my own life with, with myself. I actually had someone a few months ago who said, 
I was just, I just had like a really honest moment with her about how I was being overwhelmed and I was struggling with parenting. And she, she told me later, she's like, you know, I think I kind of had you up on this pedestal, like that you just never had any struggles. And, and I really couldn't relate to that. And she actually said that when she knew that I struggled, when she knew that I was overwhelmed, she was like, oh, well, now I feel like we can actually have a better relationship because now I know that you struggled, that we're, that we're in this together. And so I think what's interesting is that we believe, the, the enemy teaches us that vulnerability will keep us from community. And in fact, our hiding is what keeps us from community. And it, it's funny because again, the enemy just twists this and says, um, I'm gonna get you to think that the very thing that would create community in your life, that the vulnerability that would actually give you a healthy relationship, I'm gonna convince you that that's gonna be your undermining, that that's gonna undo you. And so the enemy twists this. And I realized for myself, the longer that we live, the longer that I live believing that I can't be myself, the more I'm projecting like the self that I want people to see or that I want God to see, the, actually the more and more I'm afraid to show my true self because the more I believe, oh man, now I've gotten this far and they think I'm this person and I can't possibly let them know. I can't possibly let them see. And God says, no, this is not the way that I want you to live. I do not want you to live in hiding. In fact, he says this um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 26. God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And I think it's interesting. We cannot rejoice with others and, and carry each other's suffering if we are not honest with each other about our suffering, about our rejoicing, about who we are, who we are and what we are in this moment. We have to be honest with each other. And the other thing that, that Jesus tells us is that we, there's actually healing in confessing. There's healing in confessing our sins to each other. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Being honest about who we are in this moment doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to change or grow, but being honest allows that change and growth to happen. Um, Dr. Henry Cloud, I have a few quotes by him today, um, and he says this. He says, the sad thing is that many of us come to Christ because we know we're sinners and then spend the rest of our lives trying to prove that we're not. Isn't that true though? We sort of come to God and we're like, I know I'm broken, I know I, I need you. But then we, we, we get into this, this belief that somehow God saved me once, but now I've got to maintain what he did for me. I've got to somehow be perfect and it's not okay for me to still be struggling. But when we're honest with God, again, that's when the healing begins. It reminds me a little bit of a story in Luke 18, 19 through 14, and um, it's, it's a story of a Pharisee and a tax collector, and they both went to pray to God. And um, it says, the Pharisee stood by himself and said, prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
And I think this humility is, is you know, saying, yes, God, I know I'm flawed. I know, I know that I'm not where I should be. And this is honestly where I am. And will you take me? And will you change me? And will you um, lead me where you want me to go? And the truth is that the difference between the tax collector and the Pharisee was not that one was perfect and one was imperfect. The difference was only that one acknowledged their imperfection and the other did not. The Pharisee was hiding the truth about who he was. And again, this is another quote from Dr. Henry Cloud. Um, He says, if we adopt a loving and accepting tone towards our real self, there is hope for transformation. When When we actually look at ourselves and are honest and accept ourselves and accept the goodness of who God made us to be, there's hope for transformation. And he also says this, which I think is interesting. He says, only when we admit our desires, and I would add, admit our our honest self, only when we admit our desires can God work to meet them, delay them, encourage us to give them up, or whatever would be helpful, but we have to own them. And the truth is, there will be times that we come to God and we say, here's what I am, God, here's what, whether I'm struggling with this or, or, or whatever it is, and God may say, okay, I want, I want to change you, I want to move you, I want to grow you. But again, if we're not honest about that, it's like, it's like trying to go to the doctor and hide the thing that we want him to examine. It's like, here's my arm. I don't know if I've got like gangrene here, but I don't, you can't look at it, but what do you think? Like, it's not gonna work. A doctor has to be able to see what's wrong in order to help us. And the same thing is true of God and with community. We have to be able to show our vulnerable selves in order to find that healing. So, we find that this, this shame disconnects us from God and it also disconnects us from others. Uh, Brene Brown says this quote as well. She says, when we experience shame, we feel disconnected and desperate for worthiness. Full of shame or f- the fear of shame, we're more likely to engage in self-destructive behaviors and to attack or shame others. In fact, shame is related to violence, aggression, depression, addiction, eating disorders, and bullying. And so again, I think there's also this sense that when we think it maybe just affects ourselves, but when we're living in shame, when we're living in fear, we also tend to walk around and, and project that on other people and be more judgmental and be more harsh. And so it corrodes our relationships. And it also leads us to the next thing that I think we hide from. We hide often from the responsibility for our own lives and we start to blame other people. We see this actually in the creation story, right? Right? Because another, another immediate result after they experience the shame is that, that God confronts Adam and Eve about what they've done and about their disobedience. And immediately we see the blame game start, right? Adam's like, well, this woman you put me with. And Eve is like, well, yeah, but the serpent did this. And yes, yes, they were all complicit. But the truth is that often when we, when we are not ready to be honest about our own part in the problem, we want to hide behind others and what they've done because it makes us feel safer. It makes us feel better about ourselves, right? It creates division and comparison. And I think it's one reason, too, why we end up with this holier-than-thou mentality sometimes. We're like, you know what? I, as long as I can feel better than someone else, as long as my problem is not as big as their problem, I'm okay, I'm just gonna hide behind that, right? And we, we label sins, we categorize things. Oh, this one's the worst, this one's worse than mine. And it becomes this thing that we hide behind. And it's partly when we're masking, we're masking um, what we've done and we're not willing to own that. And God says that's not what we're about either. 
Isaiah 58, 9 says, we have to do away with the finger pointing and the malicious talk. That's when God's righteousness will appear. And Romans 12, 18 reminds us that if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so we have to own our part in the story and our part in the problem and own all parts of us, even if it's uncomfortable, because it's only when we own those problems that we can find healing. And I think actually when we own our part, it, it sort of sets the stage, I think, for others to do that as well. And we desperately need to come together. We desperately need to be able to confess to each other to find that healing. But finally, we not only hide, from, hide our authentic selves and experience that shame, and we not only hide from our responsibility in our lives and blame others, but we also hide what God has given us. We hide the gifts and the talents that God has put in us. I think what happens here, if you remember from the beginning of the story, um, the, Adam and Eve felt afraid. They were afraid. And the Bible makes it clear that perfect love casts out fear. When we are living in love, when we are rooted and established in the vast love of God, the uncontainable love of God for us, we have this security, right? And that security allows us to step out and do things and take risks. And, and when we are afraid that we aren't loved, then we feel like we can't take risks. We feel like we have to be small. We feel like if we fail, again, we're gonna lose God's approval or lose someone else's approval, um, I, I laugh when I used to sing on worship team up here, um, and maybe you remember this. I, <laughs> a lot of times I would sing and I'd have the microphone like way out here, and the, everyone was always getting on to me. They're like, "You have to sing into the mic, like like eat the mic. I don't just be, be close enough that you could lick it." And I di I didn't. And you know what's what's interesting is the reason that they had me singing was because they were like, you know, you have a gift that you're going to share and you're going to sing, and it's going to be part of this this gift to God and this gift to, to serve the church. Um, but I was afraid of people hearing me sing, you know, oh, an awkward note or to get a note wrong. And I'm like, well, if I if I have the mic out here, no one can hear my bad notes, right? But you also can't hear the good notes. And so this is a picture of what happens when we're afraid, when we're afraid to step out. And so we hide and we don't let people see all of us, even if we make a mistake, even if we are not perfect. And I would challenge you to think of a time in your life when you took a risk, when you stepped out and said, okay, I, I, I think God's calling me to this. Or man, I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to do this thing. And think of that moment for you when you felt safe. And was there a person that made you feel safe? Was there a person that you knew was in your corner and you were like, I know no matter what happens, they've got my back. And if I fail, they're still gonna love me. Did you have that person? When we believe that we are unconditionally loved, that there is nothing we could do to break God's love for us or to, to shatter someone else's love and acceptance of us, we are free to live fully in who God made us to be. And we will fail. We will make mistakes you know, that's another lie we believe that we're not supposed to, that's never gonna happen. We will, but God loves us anyway and he will use even those mistakes and even those failures as part of his plan and his purpose. There's a, a parable in Matthew 25 and I'm not gonna read the parable, but you can look at it for yourself in Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30. And it's the parable of the talents or the bags of gold. And basically it's this master who sends out three, he, go, he goes on a vacation, not a vacation, like a trip. He goes away. He leaves three of his servants behind with 
different amounts of gold. And he tells them to go and invest his money. And so the first two servants do that. They go and invest and multiply what was given to them. But the third servant, we see in verse 25, he was afraid, so he hid the bag of gold. He was afraid, and so he hid the bag of gold. And what's interesting to me is that this this bag of gold, like literally hidden in the ground, is what I believe our gifts and our talents are like when we hide them from others because we're afraid. And first of all, the, the master comes back and, and, and we realize that truthfully, this bag of gold was not the servant's to begin with. It wasn't his to hide. God has given you something um, and it's his gift. It is his talent and he has given it to you for a reason. And so you aren't, we aren't like given permission to hide it because it's not ours to hide. But also, we see him hiding it out of fear. And God says, I want you to uncover that. And it doesn't matter how much, you're not even responsible for the increase. You're not responsible to multiply the investment. That's my job. Your job is simply to invest it. First Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each of you should use your gifts to serve others as stewards of God's gifts. Again, we don't own it. We just steward it. And God uses that to bless those around us. And so again, we feel like hiding will keep us safe and maybe even keep others safe from our mistakes or our failures. But the reality is when we hide our gifts and our talents, it actually makes the body of believers suffer. It causes those around us to suffer as well. So, if we aren't supposed to hide, if we aren't supposed to live in shame and blaming others and being lame generally, um, how do we combat that in our lives? And we have to hold on to the truth. This is why it is so important that we hold on to this truth that you are loved and accepted exactly as you are, that God loves and accepts you exactly as you are. I've spent several um, just several minutes, a long time this week, reading verse after verse after verse about love, about God's love for us. And as I read through all these verses on love, the themes that kept coming up were that God's love endures forever, that his love never fails, that God is faithful and unchanging, that he is love, um, that he delights in us. And as I read it, I just had this sense of like hope and encouragement that there is nothing we can do. There is nowhere we can go or run from God's love. And so anytime we believe that we're not loved or not accepted, that is, that is a lie from the enemy. Anytime we feel that it is not okay for us to come to God, it is a lie from the enemy. God sees you as you are, flaws and all, and he accepts you. And this is why Paul's prayer for us is that we be rooted and established in love. Love and truth go hand in hand. And I believe that when we start to live in in the sense that we are loved, believing that we are loved, um, it gives us the courage to step out. It gives us the courage um, to live as God wants us to. Um, God tells us it is not our job to make him love us. It is simply our job to remain in his love. And that's really interesting to me, actually. Um, John 15, 9, is, this comes after an analogy where God says that he's the vine and we're the branches. And we're, we're literally just meant to remain in the vine. And John 15, 9 says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved in you. Now remain in my love. Remain in my love. And again, this is this idea that um, I, I think God's love for us is not changing, so why would God ask us to remain in his love? I think it's because we tend to wander. When we, when we listen to the lie of the enemy, it's almost like we're turning away from God's love. Um, another thing that I sometimes struggle with um, when, I, when I'm up here teaching, they have to like literally give me a marker to stand in because um, they need me to be in the light so you guys can see me, right? But my tendency is to kind of be like, oh, la, 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 over here. And I think I don't mean to, but I just sort of naturally walk away from that. I don't know if it's just you feel like uncomfortable with this light on you and everyone looking, but, but this is what happens when we don't remain in God's love. It's, it's when we choose to walk over here and God's love is always there. His love and his light never leaves. It's always there. But when we are living in lies, when we're believing that we're not loved, we think we're in the dark. We think that we have to live in the shame. And God says, no, I just need you to remain in my love. I just need you to remember every day that my love for you is here and is constant. We also have to remember that God loved us and he died for us while we were still sinners and while we are still sinners. That doesn't change, right? We're always in the process of being made holy, but we're not in a courtroom. I think Timothy Keller puts this so well. Um, he has um, a, a message he shares where he says, that so many other religions, so many other belief systems um, tell us that we're in the courtroom, that we're constantly on trial, that our performance is what creates our, our love, the love for us, our, our okayness. But Tim Keller says, Paul is saying that in Christianity, the verdict leads to the performance. It is not the performance that leads to the verdict. In other words, God has already called you holy. He's already made you clean and it is because he calls us his children, it is because he speaks his love over us that we can go and, and live and act and, 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 and trust him and honor him. We don't have to do those things to receive his love. His love already exists for us. I just watched a movie um, on Amazon Prime, I think, called Words on Bathroom Walls. Uh, it, was a, it was a really like emotional movie, but it's about a, a boy that has schizophrenia and kind of his journey to understanding more of, of that condition and kind of embracing this fact that like, uh, this, is, this is what I'm dealing with. And really for him, believing these lies that because of this condition, he's not, he's not accepted, he's not loved. He feels like he can't possibly be accepted for who he is. And without giving too much away, hopefully, um, there's one point in the, in the movie where he is, uh, he thinks his stepfather like hates him. He thinks his stepfather just absolutely wants nothing to do with him. And there's this moment when he realizes, he finds out that his stepfather has actually been advocating for him behind his back, that he's been going to bat for him, trying to get him the help that he needs. And that this, this stepfather has been loving him unconditionally, even when the boy has kind of been like, like treating him like, like a jerk, you know? And so there's this moment when the boy comes to the stepfather and he's like, I'm so sorry. And, and I, I, I'm so sorry. And the stepfather just looks at him and says, it's okay. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And for me, that hit me so hard. It hit me so emotionally because I just picture God saying that to each of us. I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how messed up you think you are. I don't care what, what people have told you it's okay or not okay to be. I am not going anywhere. We need to know that God says that over us. Then he says that you belong. 
You belong to him and you belong in this space. I, um, I heard a, a teacher at the Global Leadership Summit, his name is Richard Shola, and he talks about how when we embrace that idea of belonging, he says he, he makes it a habit now to walk into every room he walks into, he says, I belong here. I belong here. I walk into my boardroom. I belong here. Uh, he said he got so used to, to this habit that he uh, walked into the bathroom one day and said, I belong here. And somebody else was in the stall and was like, okay, great. Good for you. <laughs> but I think, I think that's something um, that we start to say for ourselves, that we start to, when we start to live like God embraces us fully, then we can say, I belong. No matter where I go, no matter what context I'm in, I belong here. And when we embrace that for ourselves, the beautiful thing is that we become a place where we make other people feel like they belong too. And that is my prayer so much for our church and the church at large, that we become a place that is safe for people, where people can come in and say, you know what, wherever you are, whatever state you are in at this very moment, you are seen, you are held, you are embraced and loved. And it is only in coming in as our authentic selves that we can find hope and community and change. And you know what, that doesn't mean you have to be vulnerable with everyone. I get, I think that's another lie we tend to believe, like, oh man, I either have to like, like air all my dirty laundry on on Facebook or like tell everyone exactly what I'm going through. No, we can't possibly have that vulnerability at the same level with every person we meet. But it's another reason, I know today we're, it's the last day to sign up for life groups, I believe. Um, And it's another huge reason to join a group like that because we desperately need people, a group, a core group of people where we can say, hey, here is all my junk and here is what I'm going through and I just need you to hold that for me and walk with me and accept me. And I loved how the people that, that shared from Tom's life group um, all really expressed that, that there was at first this fear of coming in and being vulnerable and being needy or being, or even like disagreeing with each other, but being in that space together, they're able to grow, they're able to sharpen each other because they can be vulnerable. So as we end today, I just want you to know that God sees you and he loves you and he does not require you to be fake or to be anything other than what you are in order to come into his presence and in order to come into this church. God desperately loves you. And I want to end today um, as, as Leanne and um, Nate play some, song, uh, some music for us. I just wanted to take a moment because I think sometimes we hear a message like this and, um, and God maybe says, says something through me or what I say, what Tom says, but God wants to speak so personally to you. And I want to just take a moment for us to really think about those places in our lives that if we're honest, we don't feel okay about. We don't feel okay sharing with God. We don't feel okay sharing with others. And I want you to just let God speak to you, his truth over you, his love over you. And I'm going to start us off by sharing what I, something I feel like God spoke over me that he also, I think, wants to speak over all of us. And so I'm going to read this as though God is saying it to us. And then I'm gonna give you guys a minute of silence on your own to just process what God is saying to you. Here's what I believe God says. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I delight in you. You bring me joy. Before I made the foundations of the earth, I knew you and loved you. I loved you while you were still a sinner. My love does not depend on your perfection, but on mine. Come to me just as you are and I will hold you. 
let me love you. Enter my rest. I am yours and you are mine. I will not abandon the work of my hands. Go out in my love. Let my love lead you. Love others as I have loved you without limits and without excuses. Let love break down your walls and your pretense. I see you. My love will never fail. It will never give up or run out. I'm not going anywhere. that is uncontainable. I thank you for the deep, deep love that would lead you to die for us, lead you to suffer for us. And I pray, God, that each person this week, that you would give them freedom, freedom from fear, freedom from shame, freedom from the lies. And I ask that you continue to speak your truth over God, us, God, that you will never leave us or forsake us and that we belong to you. We love you. 